welcome to the My Family Coach podcast. I'm Claire and in each episode you'll find me interviewing a guest expert to find out more about the tricky world of child behaviour, all in handy 15 minute-ish bite-sized chunks. Then I'll send you away with three handy practical tips you can use at home. And if this episode leaves you wanting more, you can watch, listen and read from our wide range of resources while you're on the go on the My Family Coach website. This week on the My Family Coach podcast, I am joined by the lovely Dave Smallwood. Dave is a principal team teach tutor and ex-behaviour lead of a special school and staff development coordinator for the National Autistic Society. And Dave and I are talking about autism and sensory needs. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, Claire. I was going to say it's nice to see you, but Dave has, I think, pretended to me that his camera doesn't work so he can do the recording in his pyjamas. That's my theory anyway. (laughs) No, no, no. My camera is broken. Uh, I promise I haven't got my pyjamas on. Okay, we're professionals to the end. We're really lucky to have you, Dave, on the podcast today. Um, We're going to be talking about supporting families and schools to support and work with children uh, with quite complex needs. So it's a really interesting topic. With that in mind and our topic in mind, would you mind recommending a book for parents and families listening? Uh, Yes, I will. It's called, if you just bear with me one second, it's called The Red Beast. It's got a longer title. Let me just find the longer title. The Red Beast, Controlling Anger in Children with Asperger's Syndrome. Uh, and that is by, bear with me one second, uh, Kay Algarni. And what, what's that one about, Dave? It's I haven't a, heard of that one. It's a children's book. Um, and it's, it's about a, a young man that has autism. Uh, and the, the book says that some people have um, a red beast inside them that uh, um, when people get angry the red beast can awaken uh, and suddenly our eyes start getting smaller our ears start getting smaller our mouths start getting bigger and we start to speak a lot more loudly um, and and it's a, it's a book for children really just understanding anger uh, but I think it's also quite good for parents to read as well, just to have a, a little insight into their children if they're wondering why their, their own child is behaving in a certain way. Um, and, and just a bit of empathy on how if somebody already struggles with uh, processing of information, how much more difficult it gets when somebody becomes angry um, to, to, to process. And it's just, it's just an added um the difficulty with processing of information and, uh, mm. and I think it's really key when working with young people with autism yeah I've, I as I say I haven't come across that that book in particular I know there's a volcano in my tummy I don't think that's been recommended on the podcast before but that's of a similar vein although not you know specially designed for someone on the autistic spectrum but I think picture books and supporting our children with visual stimulus and learning about what's going on with their emotions is is really important so that's a great a great one we normally get big big heavy textbooks that get recommended so this will be a bit of light relief well yeah this is it and this is what I was thinking and being a parent myself um I've uh, over the years I've had professionals talking to me and using big words and recommending books with big long titles and things um, and sometimes we don't need that and, and our children don't either 
just visual representations and just something simple and to the point is, is just all we need really isn't it sometimes so that's why I've gone for that book not uh, a 200 page textbook Ah, well, thanks, Dave, for that one. I'll, we'll put it in the links to the podcast so uh, parents and families can click on it and, and hopefully get hold of a copy. Just to lead us into the topic about, um, you know, families and schools working together with children with, with more complex needs. Tell us a bit about your experience um, and where you're coming from uh, with this topic. Um, through my professional life when working in education, uh, I, I've worked um Firstly, in uh, the National Autistic Society, I was there for, for a number of years. Um, uh, and I was a staff development coordinator for the, for the National Autistic Society and delivered training for them, um, organised training and such like. And then from there, uh, I went to a special school in West London um, and I was the behaviour lead there for 10 years. I was there and it, it was... a a, a real eye-opener because it's the first time I'd really worked with uh, nursery children um, mm. with a diagnosis of autism and complex needs and it was um, it, it really struck me how how little awareness some parents have about autism when when the diagnosis comes and and, and sometimes a lack of support from 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 people and places um, so what I wanted to do when I was there is really really focus on that support for them and give them a little bit of awareness and and, and help them with their, their little bundles of joy really um, and, and just give them that little bit of understanding so that's where I'm coming from. Yeah the, uh, I expected you know the, the experience of working for the autistic society coupled with your your school experience gives us lots to you know grab hold of today for for our chat there was one thing actually you said in the introduction kind of talking about the the book that you recommended about processing i wondered if you could tell us a bit more maybe about um the, the impact of um, less processing and kind of what that that means for parents families listening that might have a child with autism or with more complex needs yeah I was, I was thinking about this earlier and a way of hopefully explaining and, and I think a, a good way is coming from people that I've met and people that I know um, and they, they have autism um, and, and I've met numerous people that have said this to me but they say they think in pictures um, rather than words so when somebody talks to them uh, they then have to translate the words that we're using into pictures uh, understand that and then they have to translate the pictures in their mind back into words so that we can understand what they're saying mm. um, and just from me saying that there you can see how long it might take somebody to do that and, and, and do that translating in the mind so if that's what they're doing and then they're in a heightened state and they might be angry or uh, anxious, frustrated, then that processing time will go up uh, and make it much more difficult. Uh, so that's that's kind of what I mean by the processing. And I think we've, especially when we're talking um, about autism and, and more complex needs and, and supporting children and families more, I think your point about the book and you know families reading a picture book to help understand and empathize where the child might be coming from 
sounds like a really good start. I know I hear mooted around when I'm working with um, parents and families, this idea about sensory processing. Is that any different from the processing that you were mentioning before? Sensory processing. Um, I'm going to say yes, Claire. (laughs) (laughs) Hypersensitivity to sound and and light. Yeah, yeah, that's what, because that's something um, I know as a practitioner, we talk about like, you know, processing needs. um, And I hear families and, and, you know, practitioners, they might get a report from an EP and, and it will talk about, you know, sensory processing and a bit like what you were saying in the introduction that I think some of the language makes it pretty tricky I think to to break down and, and understand so yeah I was just wondering your I guess yeah your thoughts around you know that I mean, I mean um if you think about hyper and hyposensitivity um some individuals might be hypersensitive to to say sound uh, and, and what we mean by that is the, the filters if you like we've got filters that filter in sounds and filter out sounds so we can be walking through a park and and not notice the birds singing around us um whereas many people with autism who are hypersensitive to sound for instance will hear those birds and they'll hear the trees rustling they'll hear the dogs barking they'll hear the person talking to them next to to them um but because the filters um aren't quite the same as what ours might be a neurotypical person's uh, filters um, all of that sound will come in possibly at the same level um, and, and it's being able to filter those sound, sounds out and it's, it's a difficult thing to do um, mm. so that's that's kind of a sensory sensory processing side of things if you're hyposensitive to sound then um, you'll start seeking you'll, you'll seek that sensory input um, uh, and that stimulation from from sensory so uh, you, you might see young people um, spinning uh, you might see them in a in a, a playground on a, a roundabout and they can stay on the roundabout for, for for an hour and they can stand up get off and, and just walk off in a straight line um, <laughs> because they're hypersent hyposensitive um to that stimulation um so they, they they seek it rather than avoid it is that is that is that that's exactly what i was thinking no just uh, yeah. as i say just the work that i do with with parents families and sometimes practitioners in schools I think there is a lot of like difficult phrases around complex needs autism the different types of processing and I think just hearing you explain that in a really clear way around hypo and hyper um, you know sensitivity I think will really help families um, and and parents alike Um, I think (laughs) I think it's interesting that the topic that we've chosen about families and schools working together uh, more to support uh, complex needs. What what was your, I suppose, you, you know, you've worked with, with or in schools. What, what do you think more can be done to support families with children with complex needs? Um, an understanding of, uh, it depends on, on the specific needs um i because of my experience i tend to focus on on autism um but more awareness for parents more support for parents would be absolutely fantastic because what what do we actually know about it as parents um not not a lot really so i think there can be more work done on that and and uh you you mentioned empathy already Uh, i think Mm. if we can become more empathetic of our young dots 
then uh, then that's going to go miles that is but without the knowledge then then it's difficult to do um so more training more support more advice um more roads into um resources um for parents uh, i don't i don't know what that would look like but if if i could do it then i would yeah because it, it must be so or maybe lonely difficult i don't know i don't want to put words into people's mouths but if if you're you know a family um you know with, with a child with with autism that may not even be diagnosed yet or is going through the process it must be quite challenging i guess to have them go into school maybe the school are trying to support needs but there, maybe there's lots of negative phone calls home and maybe a lack of understanding around the child and it must, that must be really difficult for parents and carers to try and i don't know support the the child and support themselves i think it, I think it is difficult i think you're right um and i think when you get those phone calls home from school it can kind of seem quite negative whereas it might not necessarily be negative um but but we can take it as negative uh what i think as well we we, we need to realize about schools sometimes is um it the, the professionals that work in that school this is their job and sometimes they can take it for granted i, I can take it for granted sometimes and i can and uh, say things quite matter-of-factly because it's my job um, whereas the emotional strings aren't being pulled as it would be as they would be in the parents um, mm -hmm. so whereas we we just feel like we're just giving across information um, parents um, can can feel quite and rightly so quite emotional about that um, so I think as schools and school professionals I think we can be a, a little bit more empathetic to parents um, because it, it is it's something that that we do day in day out and it's our job um so if we can have that empathy for parents then that would be brilliant but also i think um if parents realize that it is our job and 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 the professionals have got years and years and years of experience and they really do know what they're talking about um so for parents as well if they can have that understanding that the professionals do know what they're talking about mm -hmm. so absorb everything that they're talking about and take advice uh, and everyone work together um and, it, and it's got to be better for the children does that make sense sorry i went on a, went you off on one a little bit no not at all and i think really what you're mentioning is that idea around open communication and empathetic communication with one another because schools and parents families are coming from different perspectives aren't they you, yeah. you know you've, you've talked about in families it being uh, loved ones but also boundaries will be different at home not because home has no boundaries but the home is different from school school different from home and i think just empathizing and understanding that that those things happen and they're different entities is you know is a pretty good starting point as you've mentioned I think so, yeah. I, but it's something I've heard a lot over the years. It's, it's consistency across mm -hmm. school and home, and uh, we'll send things home so that um, so at home we can work the same as we do at school. Uh, and and but you're right, it, it is different. Home is different than school, um, and I think we have to strike a balance. Uh, 
Uh, we can't we can't turn home into school. I don't think and we can't do it the no. other way either. But we do have to strike a little bit of balance with that consistency, um, and some things do need to remain consistent. For instance, communication, and I think communication is something that I really like to focus on, um, and, and the appropriate way for that individual to communicate, and that should be kept consistent. I would say. Yes, because I think uh, maybe actually I'm going to peel us back a bit because I'm quite conscious that I do this all the time on the podcast, Dave. You get people get used to this listening to the podcast regularly. So I feel like we should really define what autism is because I think it's a phrase that's mooted around loads. A bit like, you know, with um, obsessive compulsive disorder, people sort of go, oh, they're a bit OCD and actually they're not OCD. They don't have a you know, obsessive compulsive disorder, it's just becomes a bit of a label that's thrown around. And I think to some extent that can be the case a little bit with autism. So it might be nice, I don't know, um, midway through the podcast, so let's define it. What what do we mean by autism? What is, you know, what is ASC? Oh, it's that question, isn't it? People said to me a million times, so Dave, what is autism? <laughs> Give me the uh, answers now, Dave. That's what we want to know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a... Uh, a lifelong condition um, where individuals um, can have stereotyped behaviours that you might see. Um, it's one of the, um, the traits of autism, if you like, is um, those stereotyped repetitive behaviours. Um, they have difficulty with sensory processing as we've already mentioned mm. uh, hypersensitivity and hyposensitivity um they can find uh, uh, communication difficulties mm. uh, um social social commu communication um difficulty with socializing with with other people and understanding uh, social cues um and I'm trying to think. I'm racking my brains now, Claire. I'm racking my brain. No, no, because I think, but even just that, um, you know, like five or six sentences, I think for anyone listening and even for myself, it just reminds us that, and you've used the word um, stereotypical, which I think is really important because you've used the term individuals really nicely, I think, in this podcast, but each person that has a diagnosis of autistic spectrum condition or ASC um, isn't going to be exactly the same or have exactly the same difficulties. It's, it is all a spectrum. Um, and I think that that word spectrum, I think, can be quite helpful. But just hearing some of those things like makes it more tangible rather than the no oh, you know they you know they have a specialist interest so they're a bit ASC or you know on the autistic spectrum but it's not quite as straightforward as that and I think quite often we can label people um, with certain traits in in certain ways so that's that's been really helpful I think to, to outline it kind of, but just the word stereo stereotypical uh, I was doing that from, I don't know, memory, if you like, of, <laughs> of a slide that I once used in a, in, in a training. Mm -hmm. um, and But it is a term that's used. That, that, that is the term that's used, stereotypical um, repetitive behaviours. Um, and it's, it's a funny word to use, isn't it, stereotypical? Yeah, yeah. It really is. It's, uh, but but that is, that is the, the way it's defined. 
or, or the way I remember it being defined. Anyway, I'm just I'm actually just looking it up now, to be honest. Um, <laughs> like double checking, was it? That's, yeah, I'm, no, I'm double checking. It, yeah, it, it completely makes sense. So you watch a film like Rain Man. For anyone that's not seen Rain Man, it's a pretty famous film. I can't remember from what decade, but maybe the 70s, 80s. And um, it has a main character who has very stereotypical uh, autistic traits of being able to count numbers and having specialist interests. And yeah, that I guess would be a stereotype of the condition, maybe. Well, yeah. The, the problem with Raymond was is uh, that that is the stereotype. Now that's what everybody thinks of autism, but that's that's one far-reaching end of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, uh, and and not all autistic people or people with autism, I should say. Um, I, I like Dustin Hoffman in that movie early, but he certainly has those st stereotypical behaviours, mm. um, the flicking of the fingers and repetitive over time, and, um, rocking backwards and forwards. Uh, I'm still, I'm still looking this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're gonna never know. This is gonna do do, do your do your head in a bit. I'm just thinking at the at the moment, Dave, because I'm working in um in a school f uh, with children and young people with uh, autistic spectrum condition diagnoses, and I'm just thinking. So I work one to one with the individuals that I work with, and going back to some of your points there. Um, I would say that each and every one of them, although have the same mm -hmm. diagnosis, like literally it'd be the, the same diagnosis on paper, are so different in the traits that they have through to some have really stereotypical traits that if you saw them, you'd be like, yeah, you know, I, I can recognise that. And then others where it's actually pretty nuanced or... Um, I think, and I don't know loads about the topic of um, girls with autism. I know I've read a few things, but I'm certainly no expert. But I know that stereotypically with girls and autism, it can be a bit more internalised and we don't necessarily see some of the um, things that we might see from boys. I'm talking in really binary terms, but that's kind of the general gist of a few things that I've read. And it, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it, for, you know, families that might have, you know, two children in their family with autism it, they, they won't be the same they won't have the same traits you won't no they won't have the same traits no and um people do differ it used to be uh the triad of impairments i don't know if you remember the triad of impairments um, yeah. and and talking about uh imagination social communication but it's difficult isn't it to to put those labels on because it does differ so much and, and we can't say everybody with autism doesn't have imagination because well, they do <laughs> they do have imagination but some of them might not um but it's the same with 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 everybody isn't it and and people do differ and i think that's also something that that can be missed as well is is they are still a human being they are mm. still a person at the core um and this person isn't um autism it's not autism with a person it's a person with autism and it's also a, a person with ears and a person with feet um it, it's just part of them um but it's not their whole so i think that they are individuals and they are all going to be different aren't they? and I, I i think with parents families listening that might have a child that has a diagnosis of um of autistic spectrum condition what, what would be what could be some of the 
behaviors that a parent or family might notice at, at home um, from someone perhaps on the spectrum? Um, I, I'd say it's a, it's a difficult one to do on a podcast because uh, I can't I can't show it, but um, fingers. <laughs> <laughs> I can't uh, see you either, so I don't no, know. <laughs> I'm doing it as we speak. <laughs> um, but they'll often bend the fingers quite rigidly and then and then straighten them again and it's, it's, yeah. it's like a rigidity in the fingers and they'll keep repeating the same patterns over and over again possibly uh looking and, and this isn't i don't i don't want to give anyone a way of self-diagnosing at home or anything like that this is just very generalized and stereotypical mm. way of looking at things uh, it's not the be all and end all of, of diagnosing autism I just want to make that clear um, but possibly they'll, they'll, they'll do that or flap their hands they'll look sideways out of one side of their eyes so they'll turn the head one way and their eyes will look the other way and they'll look um, outside of their eyes possibly putting fingers in ears standing on tiptoes walking on the balls mm. of the feet that, that can be a, a telltale sign sometimes um uh jump in yeah and the the spinning that you um mentioned earlier kind of the sensory kind of seeking behaviors and uh, you mentioned i think much earlier on um in our chat about how things can spill over into anger if someone has less processing capabilities um do, is that is that one of the reasons where you might see a child at home sort of having we, we say like the word meltdown sometimes I don't know how you feel about that word but I'm, I think I'm all right with it but you know why might some of our children with autism or on the autistic spectrum um have have meltdowns or I mean I know some won't have meltdowns but I'm just wondering about that um yeah there's a few reasons firstly i'd just like to say i'm prone to a meltdown every now and again <laughs> we're all right with meltdown yeah i'm like I've, I've, you've seen me have a meltdown i think <laughs> um the, the sensory um processing that, that we've already mentioned um too many noises uh, I'd, I'd say loud noises but it doesn't necessarily have to be loud mm. um uh bright lights or, or lights all of that sensory input um can cause somebody to to become anxious um uh, and, and 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 slip in maybe possibly into one of those meltdowns often we say um people with autism change in routine um sudden changes in routine can, mm. can, can cause that um but that happens with all of us, though, I think. Uh, and we forget that sometimes. Neurotypical people, um, we don't like our routines changed either. Um, so it's, it's the kind of label we like to put on people with autism. But but um, it, it does it does affect them sometimes. Um, and I think that comes from the world being an unpredictable place. Uh, mm. How If they've got difficulties reading social cues and, and understanding and being able to... Uh, predict what's going to happen next if they've got difficulties with that and the change in routine happens then they're not sure why and they're not sure where the rest of the day is going to go um, 
sorry, if the bus is late, well, when is the bus coming? Is there not a bus coming? There's no, there's no bus now. The, the bus just isn't here. Mm. Um, and that can fill, fill people with, with anxiety. Um, so there's those things. Uh, a lot of it, I think, is difficulties with communication. Now, a lot of the young people that I used to work with, many, many, many of them um, were what we'd say nowadays were pre-verbal. They had no verbal communication skills, so they, they wouldn't talk to us um, verbally um so a lot of the frustration comes from people not understanding what it is they need at that point and and them not having uh, a way of communicating that need to us uh, and that can overspill into anger and frustration i think so communication is a big thing yeah and i really like it that you said they can't communicate or, or sorry, not that they can't communicate, that they're, they're not able to speak, but it doesn't mean that someone can't communicate. Mm. Um, and I think that, you know, communication has so many different realms. It isn't just speaking. We communicate with our bodies. We might communicate with touch. And yeah, I think that, that that's a really re important reminder, I think, for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a massive, massive thing. And I think about that processing again, like before when I was thinking about the um, about people thinking in pictures and having to translate words into pictures and then pictures into words. Um, and then a lot of the young people I used to work with had English as a second language. Mm. So, so then uh, when they get to school, everybody's speaking quite literally a different language to them that they have to translate into their own language, then translate that into pictures then translate the pictures into their own language and then translate their own language into English for us. So that makes processing even harder. Mm. And then when you're, when you're angry and that affects your processing as well and your understanding and your ability to, to follow, um, uh, what do you call them, instructions, mm. for instance, then it makes it so, so difficult with the, the communication side of things. Um, so... A lot of the young people that we used to work with, we, we work on different ways of communication. Um, so we look at uh, picture exchange communication systems, PECS. Um, we think about Makaton, which, which isn't a replacement for verbal communication, but it's a reinforcement of it. And it's a, it's a way of um, helping, uh, helping people with their communication and, and trying to bring the verbal side of things out as well so we reinforce it with sign language um, so that can really help as well uh, and if we can think about those simplified ways of communicating then they can be really helpful I think. Oh that's absolutely brilliant Dave that's so clear about the you know communication methods that we have available and a, a reminder and I know it's a theme that comes up on the podcast quite a lot about how just how important the way that we communicate with our children and, and how important that is for, for behaviour. I'm, I'm always overrunning on the podcast, uh, which uh, is a common theme. So we're going to finish off with uh, some top tips from you or a summary of the key things that we've, we've talked about. OK. Um, first off is communication. I think um, we, we should always think about um the appropriate ways that our young people communicate and we should support them with that and stay consistent with that. Yeah, and I think, we, again, the next one I'm going to talk about, again, is communication. I think it's all about communication. <laughs> but uh, 
it's how we communicate with them uh, if they are in a heightened state of anxiety or if they're angry, um, crisis, should we call it. Um, because it's difficult to process information at that point, I think what we should do is say less to mm. people. And that's something we often forget. Um, and as team teach trainers, we say this on our courses all the time, don't we? But simplify what we say, simple mm. um, messages that are short and to the point. Too many words is, is too overwhelming for people uh, mm. and it's going to escalate situations. So the less we say, the better. Point three, you might see some of the repetitive behaviours that I've mentioned in, in, in your young person if, if they do have autism. Uh, and what I'd say is that can often be a way of regulating themselves uh, and um, we shouldn't necessarily stop them from doing it. Uh, we, we can think it's drawing attention to, to us and to our children when we're out in, in, uh, in the community and out in public, but um, it's for them and and they're regulating themselves and uh, and if they need to do it then i think we should we should allow them that i i think such important points dave and we've covered loads of ground i've asked you some really difficult questions as we've gone through as well which i always you have like. yeah thank I, know, you. I know i know um but you've answered them superbly and there's loads of information for parents carers listening um on yeah more complex needs which is um yeah a great topic to talk about so thank you so much dave for your time today and i'll catch up with you soon thank you claire bye You've been listening to the My Family Coach podcast. Thank you for joining us as we lift the lid on the challenging world of child behaviour. There's heaps more helpful advice for all your parenting needs on the My Family Coach website. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.